right, friends, good morning, welcome. I'm gonna invite you to grab your beverages, come on back in and take your seats. And we'll continue with our teaching time together this morning. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And I know some of you do not want to hear this, but in just over one week, you're going back to school. <laughs> so that means that there's a variety of responses to that. Some of you are feverishly color coding and organizing your lives, putting things into your calendar, trying to get sorted, all of those things, buying backpacks and markers. Others of you are living in blissful ignorance, just hoping this will go away or that someone else will solve this problem for you. And others of you are like, I have been there and done that. I do not interested in participating in all of these back to school shenanigans anymore. Uh, I can remember when, when our kids were young and they started back into school. And as a parent, you kind of want to know like what's going on at school, how things are going, right? When you get into a new classroom. So one of the teachers that we had devised a little system and uh, she would send home a little sticker every day that would give us an indicator as to how things had gone. So smiley face sticker meant thumbs up. Things had been great that day, all good. So uh, if another sticker came home, any other sticker that was neutral, not a smiley face, but just a sticker of some kind, it meant there'd been some unevenness to the day. A little bit was good, you know, a little bit needed some improvement. And then as a parent, you open up the little calendar thing and it was a dreadful moment to see if the frowny face sticker came home because it was a bad day and some kind of action needed to be taken. So at Jericho, this summer, we've been going through uh, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And in the book of 2 Kings, as we've studied it, we've been doing this to get a better sense of the story that God is telling and living out through the ancient people of Israel and Palestine and how that touches and impacts our lives. And we've gone through an endless list of kings that we've studied, so much so that sometimes their names are similar or they uh, acted in, in similar ways and so it can get a little bit blurry for you. And as the writer of Kings gives us their stories, each king gets a character assessment. So it's like they get a little sticker. They get a smiley face sticker if they were a good king and their behavior was up. And most of the kings though, in the book, get a frowny face sticker because their behaviors were very poor. And in fact, they led their people away from loving God and loving others well. And you can see there, it's quite a long list of kings in the book. And we're almost at the end. Next weekend's the final king. And you can already see none of them get smiley faces after today, just so you know. And we are today, though, in a story in 2 Kings chapter 22. And it's the story of a king named Josiah. And so I want you to get an overview of why Josiah gets a smiley face and watch this short video. God's masterpiece, Josiah. This is Josiah. Hello. 
Josiah became king of Israel when he was only eight years old. Yep. Now the country of Israel had a very long line of kings who did many bad things, including Josiah's father and grandfather. These kings did not follow after God, and they ignored his commandments and his law. But when Josiah became king, he did what God wanted him to, and followed the example of King David. Yeah. 18 years after Josiah became king, he sent one of his court secretary, Shaphan, to God's temple. Thank you. Many of the kings before Josiah did not take good care of God's house, so it was in need of repair. While they're in the temple, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, "Hey, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple." So Shaphan took the scroll back to King Josiah and read it to him. When Josiah heard what was in the book, he was greatly upset. Oh no! Because the people of Israel were not doing the things that God asked them to do, and Josiah knew that God must be angry with Israel for not obeying His commandments. Josiah gathered together all the people of Israel to the temple and read the entire book of the covenant to them. That very day, Josiah and all the people promised. That they would obey all of what God commanded with all their hearts and souls. Josiah went on to help Israel become a people fully committed to God. He tore down all the other temples and the idols that they had set up. He got rid of all the people who were doing bad things all throughout Israel. And he did all that was commanded in God's book. Never before had there been a king like Josiah. Who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses? And there has never been a king like him since. So, Josiah's story is one of those high point moments in the life of the ancient. People of Judah, and a few amazing things stand out to me about Josiah's story. And the first one is that he became king when he was eight years old. And can you imagine ruling over an entire country in second grade? I mean, obviously there were regents around him, people that was、uh, were a wise counsel that really were making a lot of decisions on his behalf until he came of age.、Uh, but it reminds me, last summer we were in Westminster Chapel in the UK, and as we walked through, I saw an inscription to King Edward the Sixth, and I was doing a little bit of the math, and I looked at the dates and I thought, whoa, Edward the Sixth became king. When he was nine years old in 1532, and then died of tuberculosis at age 15, was one of the in a very turbulent period、uh, in in England's history. But I can't even imagine having that level of responsibility in early teenage years. But the Bible makes an interesting observation about 
Josiah and its high praise. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Turn there with me on your devices or in your Bibles. It says that verse 1 of 2 Kings 22, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Abadiah from Bozkath. And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. So this is unique amongst all of the kings that we've studied. He's a unique young man with a passion and a heart to seek God and to do what is just and right. And it says that in 2 Chronicles, where the parallel account of uh, his life is found, in 2 Chronicles 34 verse 3, that even as a young boy, Josiah purposed in his heart to seek God with all of his heart and mind and strength. 2 Chronicles 34 3 says, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And that that struck me because uh, not this last week, but the week before, our family was up at a camp, at Camp Bob, and I was speaking at a teen camp. And one of the things that I was doing at teen camp was just relating some of the stories of my teenage years, and I was reminded again about how far away from God that I had walked at certain periods of my life. And yet here Josiah is a young man who it is at an age of eight and through his early teen years, he purposes in his heart to seek the Lord in his youth. And so many times when I talk to people or I hear people talk, they'll say things like, well, you know, Brad, that religion thing sounds all fine and good. But right now, in my youth, what I want to do is just do what I want. And I'm going to party hard. I'm going to do whatever. When I get a little bit older... I'll settle down and, and I'll do some repenting. I'll turn back to God. That was the story of my own parents, in fact. When they were teenagers, they said, you know what, we want nothing to do with God and religion. And then in their midlife, they came back to exploring faith. And for them, as they reflected on that, they saw it as a real window of time that they're quite sorrowful about because then it made them it made it more difficult for them to really equip and strengthen us as their kids in faith. Uh, and their counsel to us was, hey, don't repeat some of the mistakes that we made walking away from God when we were young. Because this has the potential for you to miss out on the development of a strong and stable foundation that can pay dividends for your whole life long. Because one of the things that that I think we need to speak out in this community and remind ourselves of is that children and young people can have a vibrant and deep and meaningful relationship and encounter with God. That's not just reserved for adults. When you are a child, when you are a young person, you can have a meaningful encounter and a relationship with Jesus. See, at Jericho, we're not simply content to just say, okay, well, we'll focus our ministry on adults and kids and youth. That's kind of like an add-on. If we get around to it, we'll think about it. I love that about our staff team composition. Jenna. Jenna sees her job 
as helping kids develop a more passionate and informed and clear sense of God's love for them and for others. So she and the kids at the Ridge teams are not just babysitting so that you as an adult can listen to sermons. They're passionate about helping cultivate faith in kids' lives. Mike, our youth pastor, he's talked a little bit about the events that they do, but if you get to know Mike, one of the things that I appreciate about him is his teaching gift, and he's passionate about teaching young people what God is like and how to live a life that's open to saying yes to God. Mike was teaching our young people this last year in source about prayer and about listening to God. What does that look like? How do you do it? Different prayer practices from history uh, in that source environment as a way of developing a foundation and helping young people learn how to hear from God. So I want to say this as clearly as I can. Our goal of faith development here at Jericho is not to entertain your children and your youth or to run super awesome programs for your family. If you need that and want that, there are lots of churches who that is the underlying dynamic that's going on and we can help you find one of those churches. But for us at Jericho, we are not here to run programs. We are here to partner with you, if you're a parent, in giving kids and youth a lifelong running start at a relationship with God. That's what we're trying to do. We're here to partner with the work of the Holy Spirit to help kids and teens find and follow Jesus and provide age-appropriate discipleship environments for them to know Jesus, learn from the Bible, learn how to pray, learn how to build friendships, be part of God's mission by loving their neighbors and loving themselves. That's what we're about. And so we have environments that do that, but they are not designed just to put in time until kids and youth get to some magical age where then they can really get it. We want to give them the best running start at a lifelong relationship with God. Josiah started when he was young. And so let me challenge you, if you are a parent of a child or a teen, it can be really easy to take the path of least resistance and just to stay home every time your kid didn't love the craft last week or isn't super stoked about the activity that's going on in youth. But one of my jobs as a parent is to help guide and nurture my kids in the best way that I can to a vibrant relationship with Jesus and their spiritual development. And I can't do that alone. I need support and help and assistance from other people. And so I need to put them in environments where they can be developed and grow and hear truth taught. And so if you choose as a parent to kind of opt in and opt out whenever you want, and whenever you or your kids are not feeling it, this can result in significant gaps in their spiritual development. So consistency is one of the key factors here. And so as a parent or as a grandparent, how intentional are you at ensuring consistent spiritual development in the life of your kids or the life of your grandkids? Now there's no magic here. Just because you force them to come to something, 
is not going to automatically result in wonderful things in their life. But I'm just saying that a level of consistency is important to try and develop and give them the best chance that they can as they grow in their spiritual development. Because already at age eight, and then already again at age 16, the text is saying Josiah had a heart and a passion and a love for God that was noticeable and notable. It was smiley face awesome, in fact. And that's what I want for my kids. And that's what I want for your kids. And I want them to miss out on learning to love God at a young age. So that's the first thing that just struck me as I was reading this text is even kids and young people like Josiah at that young age can develop a vibrant and passionate love for God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as Josiah does that, and as he grows, he starts to realize then that there's a problem around him with the spiritual climate in the nation. His father and his grandfather, we saw in that short video, had led the people away from following God. And they're having trouble finding and following God because of the worship of many false gods and idols. But more than that, the place that was supposed to be allocated for people to meet God, the temple, was in total disrepair. It had been left alone for almost seven dynasties of kings. And so it was not in good shape. There were idols even set up right in the temple that were obstructing and preventing people from worshiping in it. So Josiah does what needs to be done. He puts a little box out. And he begins a little capital campaign program and he invites the people who worship at the temple to contribute to the renovation and restoration of the temple. Second Chronicles 34, 9 to 11 reflects this and says, the gifts were brought by the people from all of these tribes, Manasseh, Ephraim, and the remnant of Israel, as well as from all of Judah, Benjamin, and the people of Jerusalem. He entrusted the money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. And they paid the workers who did the repairs and the renovation of the temple. They hired carpenters, builders. They purchased finished stone for the walls, timber for the rafters and beams. And they restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. Now, I want to be careful about drawing straight lines from the Old Testament tabernacle and temple straight through to the New Testament church because there are differences. But I do want to say something about Josiah's strategy here because he looks around him and he realizes, well, something needs to be done. And I don't know what options he considered. Maybe his advisor said, you should just fund it out of the royal treasury. I don't know. But what he does choose to do is he chooses to make this a group effort. He chooses to say, you know what, we're going to put in place a strategy whereby people can give voluntarily and specifically to the repairs. It's like an ancient capital campaign. They put that little collection out at the receptacle at the entrance. People who wanted to participate in that specific aspect of the religious life of the community together would, would put money into it. And the beauty of this strategy is that uh, it helps to share the load. 
because capital campaigns are not the responsibility, whether then or now, of a few people to just sort of fund things and just pay for this renovation. It's a shared responsibility for us as a community of worshipers. And this for us is a unique time in the life of Jericho. We're not always going to have a push to raise extra funds and be of and beyond our operating budget. But this building was purchased and needs to be brought, first of all, up to code. That would be a start <laughs> so that we can worship in it. But more than that, it needs to be brought to a place where for years to come, this can be a hub for impacting our community and engaging them. And that just takes money to make that happen. And so at Jericho, last year, this year, and next year, this is really our, our focus, our emphasis around a capital campaign. And we're not pushy about it, but we're also not apologetic about it either. It takes money to make meaningful ministry happen. And the need around us is clear. We know what the need in our neighborhood is. When we had the block party a couple of weeks ago, we had more than 500 people in our neighborhood come through. Many of them are interested in a life-changing connection with Jesus. Many of them are interested in what's going on inside of these walls. And so the need in our neighborhoods to provide a space for them to connect with God is clear. And the need for us to be able to fund that is clear as well. And so if you call Jericho Ridge home and you've not yet made a plan in some way to lean in with the capital campaign, I want to challenge you to get engaged. I want to ask you to look at what God's entrusted you with and get creative and get focused on figuring out, are there areas maybe you could reduce spending and give towards that? When we bought the building last year, it was a big, big push and a big stretch for us. The building purchase was just over $8 million. And then we've got to renovate it on top of that. And so for us, that's a big hill to climb. And so what we did is we just broke that down and said each year, last year, this year, and next year, we're committed to raising $241,743.50. In this calendar year and then next calendar year as well. And that's towards funding the purchase. And so we just want to keep you in the loop about that. That that's a fixed commitment that we've made in order to move forward in this together. And accomplish the things that we want. And Meg and I have made a, a commitment to what we believe we can give each year. And for us it's a number that's really stretching us. It's above and beyond our regular giving and tithing. And tithing is that term uh, where uh, in the scriptures it talks about a tenth or giving God 10% of your income for God's work in the world. And for us, we're aiming uh, over this year and next year to go above and beyond that and try to give away just shy of 20% of our income this year and next year. And it's causing us to make some different choices than we might otherwise make. And it's really stretching and I don't say this to sort of somehow toot our own horn as a family. There's many people that I talk to at Jericho that are making significant sacrifices in this season around funding this ministry. What I am saying is that we're all in this together. And so our commitment 
to each other. And what the leadership team and I expect is that those who call Jericho Ridge home would find a way to contribute as they are able and as God puts it in your hearts towards the capital campaign. And that's what, one of the things that I'm learning in this process is that this actually isn't about the money. It's stretching faith in me and in our leadership team. And so what I'm discovering is that capital campaign projects are actually spiritual projects as much as they are structural projects. Because this is stretching our faith as a community. It's growing our collective faith. It's forging something unique in us together as a church. This is doing something in the spiritual life of our community as we trust God and step out in faith in this way. And Josiah sees this happening at a deeper level. Look at 2 Kings 22, 3 to 6. In the 18th year of his reign, Josiah sends the court secretary to the temple of the Lord and says, go, go to Hilkiah the high priest, have him count the money that the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple and entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay the workers to repair the temple. They're going to need to do what we're doing. Hire carpenters, builders, masons. Have them buy the timber, the finished stone needed to repair the temple. And they go on and they work at it over a period of time. And what happens is as they start opening up walls and get started on putting up beams, something unique happens as they get into this. They discover a lost book or a scroll. Likely it was the book of Deuteronomy. And the renovation of the temple actually perpetuates or kicks off this discovery for them. And they find this, and this is what we read in 2 Kings 28, 8 to 13. Hilkiah the high priest says, I've found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And then Hilkiah gives the scroll to the court secretary and he read it. And then Shaphan went to the king and reported, your officials have turned the money over, collected the temple of the Lord to the workers, supervisors, that part's going well. And then he told the king, um, the priest gave me a scroll and he read it to the king. And when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. That was an ancient sign of mourning that you were upset deeply by something. And then he needed to respond in some way. And so he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest and said, go to the temple, speak to the Lord for me and for the people, for all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that's been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it said that we must do. When Josiah hears about the fact that they have not been following God in the way that God revealed to Moses, he doesn't just brush it off and say, oh, well, we get a pass. We didn't know. Forget about it. You know, too bad. He's moved to a place of repentance, to a place of action, to a place where he's willing to change not only his heart and his mind and his actions, but to call the nation as well 
to a place of repentance. And he sends a message to the prophetess, Huldah, and he asks her what God says needs to be done. And she gives a consistent message that's been repeated by almost every prophet that we've come across in the book of 2 Kings. That the people have abandoned God and therefore God is going to judge them for their abandoning God. God's going to allow the people to be taken into a place of exile by a foreign power. And it's already happened, we saw several weeks ago, for the northern kingdom of Israel. And now the prophetess reiterates that this is going to happen to Judah in the south. But she also says that Josiah's repentance and his call to the nation to a place of repentance has had an impact. In 2 Kings 28, verses 18 to 20, she says, go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the message you've just heard. You were sorry. You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and this people, that this land would become cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair. You wept before the Lord in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you died and have been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on the city. And so they take the message back to the king. Josiah's repentance, his heart, his soft heart towards God, actually has impact on the nation. He models for others what is expected of them. Doesn't just say, you guys should all repent out there. He takes the lead in that. There's an immediate response of repentance in his heart. When God lays out something for you, and begins to put God's finger on something in your life that needs to change. I don't know how, what your experience of this is, but for me, I'm like, hey, I'll get around to that. <laughs> and oftentimes, God has to bring it to my attention repeatedly before I take action. And I was struck by reading Josiah's story again that immediately he responded. Immediately he said, okay, God, if this is what you're requiring of me and of us, we're doing it. He acted quickly to change direction. And that's something that I'm challenged by on an ongoing basis. And maybe for you, you know that God has been inviting you to do something. God's been putting God's finger on something in your life that needs to change. Some area that needs a shift to be called back into alignment with God's invitation and I would say to you, don't put it off. Today is the day to do that, whatever it is, to walk in repentance and in obedience. Maybe for you, you've never made that commitment to be part of God's family. And you've heard it a couple times, an invitation to salvation. And you've said, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to that. Today is the day. Do not harden your heart. When God speaks to you, it's like that gentle churning sometimes in your spirit that you just know that that's God's invitation. Say yes to that. Don't put it off any longer. Today might be the day for you to get right with God, maybe for the first time. And you do that by praying and saying, God, I acknowledge you are who you say you are, that you sent Jesus 
to pay for my sins, to, that I could be in a right relationship with you. I want to respond in repentance and in obedience. When God's law became clear to Josiah and became clear to the people, that was their first move was to repentance. Don't keep living in denial or put it off. Today is the day to act just like Josiah did. And what becomes clear to Josiah and to the priests and to those that are advising him is that they have not been following God's uh, outline around worship. And so he institutes massive religious reforms where he calls the nation together and they read about God's law and they recommit to the covenant together. And the renovated space at the temple actually allows them to do this and allows Passover to be celebrated. And the text says this hasn't happened in this way since the days of the prophet Samuel. It was a massive turning point in the life of that nation at that time. In fact, the writer says this, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying all of the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. It's the highest praise given in the entire book of Second Kings. And I wish that Josiah's story ended there with the nation turning back to God, but it doesn't. Ultimately, as we've seen with a number of the kings in this series, they start out on a good path and seeking God. Some of them even turn the nation back to God, but Josiah makes a foolish choice which results in his demise. Second Kings 23 verse 29 says, while Josiah was king, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, went to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria because Mike pointed out to us that uh, the ancient nation state of Babylon was getting stronger and stronger and they were just about to overthrow Assyria. And so uh, Egypt comes up to help and so in order to get to there, they have to go right through Judah. And so King Josiah and his army march out to fight against him. Josiah has no business fighting against Pharaoh because he's already underneath, Josiah's already underneath Assyria. So Pharaoh's going to help the guy who's already in charge. So Josiah doesn't need to fight him. And in fact, Pharaoh says that to Josiah. You have no business with me. I have no business with you. In fact, the writer of Chronicles says that God gave Pharaoh that assignment to go and Josiah pays no attention to this whatsoever. And so he rides out to fight against him. And he disguises himself as a common soldier. And Pharaoh's archers hit him in his chariot and kill him when they meet at a battle of Megiddo. It's a tragic end to an amazing life. All of these good things that he did... And this one choice that he makes to persist in this. And we don't know why. We don't know whether it was arrogance. We don't know what he was thinking meddling in this conflict. Was he being rash? We don't know. We did know, we do know clearly he did not have a dog in this fight. And so it was unwise for him to go into this experience. But he chooses to get involved anyways. And this might be one of those times where you say, Brad, what in the world does this have to do with me? 
I'm not going to war anytime soon, but maybe not in person, but one thing I see all the time is people going into battle with their words, and I see it online time after time, in people inserting themselves into arguments where you're not needed and you're not invited, and just rashly jumping into the fray of somebody else's fight. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, do not get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Stay out of it. Don't get involved. Especially Josiah, who knew and had sought God for so long in his life. And then as he gets older, in moments of weakness, he compromises and needlessly inserts himself where he's not needed, and he gets involved in a conflict that isn't his. And so he finishes on a low point, even though the assessment still gets a smiley face. Emery and the worship team are going to come and lead us in songs of response. And as they do, I want to just invite us to reflect about our own lives and reflect a little bit on areas of our lives, maybe an area that you need to work on. Maybe it's an area that God's been speaking to you about for a while in your own life. And for you, you've kind of put it off and you've said, you know what, I'll get to that later. Maybe today is the day that you need to do that. Maybe it's an area of consistency in your walk with God or maybe in your parenting Maybe it's an area that you've started and stopped. And maybe God is inviting you to step into a deeper place of trusting God. Maybe it's in the area of your finances and saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out in faith and I'm gonna engage here at Jericho in this season that we're in and take a risk and ask God to bless me. Maybe you're engaged in a specific conflict situation that's not yours to be in, and you need some wisdom to extricate yourself from that. One of the reasons why we always provide response time at the end of each of our gatherings is for you to just have that time with God. Instead of just hearing something intellectually, processing and then rushing out to lunch, to actually cultivate a spirit of not just responding to God, in, in your head, but also in your heart and responding maybe in other ways as well. It's why we always have our prayer team available at the back and Wally and Curtis and others will be available. They have the name tags on. If there's something that we can pray with you about in your life, we would love to do that today. And so Anne Marie and the team are gonna lead us in songs that invite us to respond to God in faith and in obedience. And you're invited to either stand or sit or kneel as you're led and as you're able. And also uh, make sure you take advantage of our prayer team at the back as well. Let's respond to God. <laughs>